Proverbs chapter 29. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. It just so happens that we're up to this chapter. You can't avoid it. But this is the first verse in this chapter. He who is often rebuked hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. It's God's word to give us the urgency in our own lives to just stop the things that God keeps telling us to stop, to lay aside everything that would keep us from the King of Kings. And also to have that sense of urgency and godly fear and concern, love for our loved ones who may be displeasing God and they're continuing thinking that they have all the time in the world to repent if they need to. And what does that cause us to do? The reality of this, it's similar to Jonah coming to Nineveh or the Lord Jesus, greater than Jonah, coming to Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Tyre, warning them, telling them, if what you heard was heard back then, they would have repented. Sodom and Gomorrah. They would have repented with a deep repentance. And Jesus had to say, you people in this town, in this village, you are sealing your own fate by not repenting. And so, the awareness of that unlike Jonah, but like the Lord Jesus, makes us have that urgency to tell them God is coming to judge the world. We need to be right. See all the signs in the world? Everything's pointing to everything failing because it was never meant to continue with any amount of success without Jesus Christ. And so we hear this verse, and first of all, it gives us warning that we need to know, are there things that the Lord is rebuking us about? Are there things that we're doing, we're holding, we're thinking, that are not right in His sight? And do we apply this word to ourselves and say, Lord, you've been cautioning me, rebuking me, correcting me, showing me that this particular thing or these things are not right in your sight, but I'm going on with it. And I read this word, it says, if I harden my neck, as the Old Testament Israelites were called, stiff-necked people, you couldn't budge them, you couldn't move them. They're set in their ways. Unteachable. not able to be corrected, defiant, who say, leave me alone, I'll do what I want. There's a fear that comes in the heart of the child of God who knows that God will act, but also that God's a God of mercy. And so what do we do first and foremost? We start praying because we know the truth, that God will act at some point. And we start interceding, standing in the gap between judgment 
and a point of no return. Say, Lord, please give them more time. Oh, God, help them. Help them, Lord, to understand how serious it is. May the fear of God come upon them. Do whatever it takes, Lord, that they can get right with you. He who is often rebuked, yet hardens his neck, will suddenly be destroyed that without remedy. In the parable that the Lord told about the tree that was there, three years and no fruit, he said, cut it down. Somebody interceded. See, the three years, <clears throat> 360-day Jewish calendar, excess of a thousand days, every day seemed to be much like the previous day and probably no different than the next day. And it kept going on. The tree was enjoying all of the soil, all the nutrients. And it continued and thought, I have already 500 days under my belt. I can probably live forever. Look, 775 days passed. And all of a sudden, when the last day of the three-year period was over, the edict, the judgment came, cut it down. And the worker interceded and said, please, one more year. Can you give it one more year? Then if it doesn't bear fruit, we can cut it down. I'll be the one to do it myself. And so, we understand that the prophets, even like Jeremiah, at one point, the one who's weeping for the people, these are my people, God, please, I can't stand it. There's just destruction, devastation. And then there comes a point in which the prophet starts to feel what God feels and he begins to say, Lord, don't forgive them, don't hear them anymore. That's a dangerous point. It's true, isn't it? When we look at scripture, if we survey the Old Testament and the New Testament, can we always say God's a God of mercy and love and he'll forever look the other way, Jesus loves you? Should we not also preach the other part? that there's a limited time, be careful. How many people have been under the fear of God, by the grace of God, somebody preached to them by the Spirit, warned them very severely, that shook them because they understood, I can't play with God, and if I continue, I'm going to end up in hell. And it actually jolted them out of that stupor, that easy believism and false theology. And they repented because they understood the horror and the finality of judgment and the suddenness. And so we check our lives then we can be ambassadors of God's love to warn people and say, look, this is what is going to happen but there is a way out. There's forgiveness. As we read yesterday, whoever covers his sins shall not prosper. Tell your friend, tell your family member, Tell the people God takes you to, to takes you to. Show them. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. Hey, look look at what it says in Proverbs twenty eight over here. Look at what it says here. Proverbs twenty eight, twenty six. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. We're all fools without Jesus. But he loves us. He wants to make us wise. And look, it says in Proverbs twenty eight and thirteen that the one who covers what they're doing wrong will not deal with it, but continues, will not prosper. 
but whoever confesses them to the Lord, say, Lord, help me, I don't want this in my life, it's against you. Whatever desires there are contrary to you, there's a battle going on, and I want your mercy, Lord, so help me to forsake this, even as I confess it. Others who say, I don't have any problem doing what I feel like, I don't believe in God, well, they need to hear also. Whether you believe it or not doesn't change the fact that it is true. God is God. He's on the throne. But have you considered that God is almighty and He is the sovereign rule of the universe? When we go to a boss and challenge his authority, who are you to give me orders? Then is somebody, then is somebody working, in a, working in a restaurant. All of a sudden going to the boss. Saying, you don't tell me to wash the dishes. I'll go sit in the corner over there and play with my phone. Tell the co-workers, we don't have to sweep the floor. You don't have to wait on anybody. Anybody can see that's sheer folly. You want to be fired. You want to be destitute and poor if you have that attitude. We submit to earn wages to live. How much more to the God who created all things. And so this first verse can mean salvation for somebody who gets warned. I know Christians who were surrounded with people who told them lies, other so-called Christians. And then someone came along and said, this is displeasing to God, and you can't live a life displeasing to God, otherwise you will end up in hell, regardless of what you professed, what you learned, when you committed yourself to the Lord, and how long you've been ministering. You can't have sin in your life. If you harden your heart and continue, sudden destruction will come. And have you not seen it in the news? Just repent. Turn to the Lord. His way is better. His way is life. Verse 2 is reminiscent of what we read even in the previous chapter yesterday that is found in Proverbs 26 and 28 when the wicked rise men hide themselves but when they perish the righteous increase in 29 verse 2 it says when the righteous are in authority the people rejoice but when a wicked man rules the people groan God is saying this is the state of affairs in any government, any place. People who are wicked, although they will side with the wicked with wicked intentions, they won't want to be oppressed. So it's a fact that even people who are wicked know that pride that would oppress them from another wicked person is an ugly thing. I don't want it. It's the blindness. Verse 3, Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice. We heard in the prayer that we ought to please our father. It's a beautiful thing to have a child that is desiring to please the parent, the father especially here. Not because the child wants his or her allowance money. Not because the child wants a treat. 
because a child wants to play a game or watch TV. Not because the father will thrash them and beat them up, but there's a genuine desire to make the father's heart glad because of love. And love and wisdom, wisdom and truth, truth and love go together. This is the understanding that the Son of God gives us. That the spirit of adoption, as it says in Romans, makes us cry, Abba, Father. I belong to my Father. He's my dear Father. He's good. He's so good. I want to please Him, make His heart rejoice. Whoever loves wisdom makes his Father rejoice. That means it's the fool that doesn't care what God thinks, how he feels. I'm just trying to come in this game called Christianity to see how I can prosper. I want my family to be saved. I want my people to have material wealth. I don't want them begging in the streets. God doesn't want that either. He wants the good things that we want. But if the motivation is what I can get from him, then I've missed Christianity altogether. I've missed what the relationship is intended for altogether. It's to transform me, as someone else prayed, to make me like him, heart full of love. Give me a heart full of love, Lord, just like him. Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice, but a companion of harlots wastes his wealth. Something that it was common in that day and common today. God has rescued us from a life, as we read in the previous chapter, of gluttony, riotous living, wasting money, wasting energy, wasting life, doing things that are harmful. It's just almost incredible to think when our minds have been renewed, transformed, to think why would anybody stick their smooth skin with a needle, not only to cause pain to get it in, but then inject it with self-destructive things, destructive things and self-destruct. Why would they do that? What is driving them? What kind of thrill is that? To damage every organ, every part of my being, and to become dysfunctional and impotent, and then spread that around. What kind of killer mentality is that? Why would somebody put a toxic substance in their mouth there's a spirit of disobedience that says do whatever is unhealthy, not good. It's a spirit. Same thing with diet. There's definitely a spirit. Scientists may say, well, there are centers in the brain that craves for chocolate, craves for this. And as you feed the body, the taste buds and the stomach, the brain chemicals and signals actually change. They actually change. To do what? Crave more. There's a physiologically, biologically induced transformation in the physical cells of the brain and neurons by what we do. 
Same thing with homosexuality. As they've seen the cadavers of people who practice that, that there was a change. Their brains physiologically look different. And what Satan has given the people is to claim that we were born this way, never considering that by the deeds we do, we can change our brains. And then it'll crave for more. There's a conditioning that happens. But if we begin to say, Lord, I don't want the old way. I don't want the evil way. I want to do things that are good, Lord. Why would I want to hate myself and hate other people? Someone may say, well, that's all I'm used to. I've come from an environment of hate. Everybody was selfish. And that's how I thought I should live. And But I want a way out. I'm thankful there's a way out. There's a, there's a way of love from a God of love. And I don't want to waste what God has given me, the wealth, with riotous living. Wasting my life away. How many of us can say, we used to waste our lives. There may be somebody here who can say, I've never done this thing or that thing. But we still wasted our lives. How? The money that God gave us from the energy and opportunity God gave us, do we ever purchase things that were not wise? Ever? Did we ever spend our energy on things that are not pleasing to God? Ever? Of course we did. God has transformed us. Now, instead of going after financial seminars and these uh, financial gurus and all these courses and things and if we just obey the Lord God says I will prosper you the one who confesses and forsakes his sin her sin that person will find mercy and they'll begin to prosper isn't it true how many of us can testify no wonder we call it the best life to follow Jesus is truly the abundant life we have trials we have pain we have tremendous attack from Satan Because we're standing for the truth and we will not let go. I'd like you to note Acts chapter 14 verse 22 and verse 23. Acts 14 verses 21 and 22. Can somebody please read that? Acts 14 verses 21-22, NIV version. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of the God, they said. Praise God. Praise God. We must go through many hardships we must go through many tribulations many trials serious trials before we enter the kingdom of God we're in the kingdom of God because we're born again but we haven't gone there physically 
the final entrance into the kingdom of God with our new bodies is yet to happen. We will not get there without tribulations. The believer has the abundant life and that abundant life overcomes every tribulation. Hallelujah. But it's very clear from Acts 14, 21, 22. They went around, wonderful success. Many disciples went back to the cities, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Wonderful fellowship. There's a growth. And encouraging them, urging them with love, exhorting them. Stay strong in the faith. Don't give up. There's a godless world around you. Don't give up. You think, they would say, God bless you, and leave. And so they said, don't give up. Remember, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. You're going to face trials and pain. Don't give up, because you're going to make it, because the Lord will be with you, confirming you, strengthening you, blessing you through it all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We know where God has taken us from, we appreciate deeply the mercies of the living God. You know what? He turned not only Thessalonians, the Thessalonians and Ephesians, but He turned you, He turned me from idolatry. Whether we bow down to a statue or not, we were idolizing things, whether it be money, the human body, immoral pleasure, foolishness, material gain in any form, idolizing other people, worshipping baseball stars and movie actors. Someone says, well, I never went to their home and bowed down to them, but you did by thinking about them, wishing you could be with them and be like them, and fantasizing. So idolatry, it starts with imagination. But God has come and taken our imagination and transformed it our imagination is occupied now with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. We're thankful for the abundant life. But it's a life that will call for moral courage and fortitude. Perhaps some or many of us don't have that track record of being a courageous person. Maybe you were the type that the moment trial would come or pain, you'd withdraw and go the other way. Maybe if a job or task was too hard, you'd say, ah, I quit. I'll just go and talk to this one and that one. I'm going to look for another job. Maybe you were job hopping. Maybe you were relationship hopping. Because you didn't have the courage to stick it out and say, if this is God's gift to me, I'm not talking of wrong choices, but the right choice. I need to do my part. It's not about me, it's about God and the other person. That's what the Lord taught me on the cross, by His life. That's how the Christians were in the first century. Like Paul and Peter and James and John. They lived to please God and to please their neighbor. For what? Not for a self-seeking gain, but for the good of their edification. What can I do to bring my husband, my wife, my children, my neighbor, my brother, my sister closer 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. What do I need to subtract in my conversation, in my personality, in my likes, dislikes, my bursts of laughter, or my indifference? So that I'm not a stumbling block, but rather encourage them. Think about their good. What a difference, is it not? From being a companion of harlots, a companion of riotous people. And you need once again to underscore the point that riotousness and harlotry has a spiritual counterpart. It's not simply one who goes around drinking all day long or hangs out with prostitutes all day long or makes themselves a prostitute all day long by looking whose eye they can catch by the way they dress, by the way they talk, by the way they walk. That's prostitution also. But spiritually, to waste the energy God has given on things that God doesn't want us to use it for. To waste the money on things God doesn't want us to use it for. What He's given us. What a great transformation. Now we're looking to bring profit to the kingdom of God. There's nothing we can add to God's glory whatsoever. He's glorified already. He said, I've glorified it, my name, and I glorified it again. We don't add to him, but we do add to his kingdom. Not to give a net gain for God as the almighty King of kings and Lord of lords, but add to his family by bringing more souls in and edifying and saying, Lord, I want to be used to be the best friend I can be, to be the best brother and sister I can be, to my brother and sister because I'm aiming to please them not to whatever they want me to do or think is cool or nice seeking flattery but what the Holy Spirit wants me to speak and how to say it and what not to say when to say Lord I want you to flow through me that what I do really builds my brother my sister up now, how can a person that's preoccupied with himself or herself ever do that? It's impossible. Have we been people like that? Not only run from trial, run from pain, run from any hardship whatsoever. God has transformed us. Hallelujah. Now we stick it out and say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. If anybody can say that, it's the Christian. Because we have the Spirit of God to empower us and do God's will in any situation. But what about thinking about myself still? How can I ever please my neighbor if I'm concerned about me, my bank account, my vehicle, the way I look, and my mood? We live in a very self-centered world. You don't have to be in the subway cars or bus, or public transportation, or go to the store, although we see it all the time. You see the conversations. I think this, or he can't do this to me, and she can She said this, did you know what he said? And this is what I said, I told him off. And then scorn other people, getting a person's self-worth and 
projecting their self-image as better, superior, by talking to friends and other people and putting down other people. But the Christian understands, who am I to put down anyone else? How many sins have God forgiven me? Has God forgiven me for? Or from? How many? I can't even count them. God have mercy upon me to say things that are becoming of the meekness of the Savior, humility and forgiving nature. Let me speak good of people. And if I have to speak bad in, in the sense that I have to expose darkness, is to protect people, not to make myself look better. Isn't it disgusting? 20, 30 years on a job, 40 years maybe. You can just listen to the conversations, the bulk of them, trying to project a better self-image, putting down the boss, putting down the co-worker, putting down this one. As soon as the news is mentioned, current events, I speak my mind, peace of my mind. Thank God we've come a long way. God has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness, foolish living, disobedience, rank, arrogance, self-centeredness, to a loving, humble, God-glorifying, people-edifying lifestyle. But I need to get out of that self. Are we allowed to complain ever? Didn't David say, I bring my complaint to you? There's a far cry from bringing something to God and saying, Lord, I genuinely need help, than murmuring and grumbling like the Israelites. Always, where's the water? I want this satisfaction, I want that. Blame this one and blame that one. Blame Moses, blame God. It's a very nasty lifestyle that the Holy Spirit sheds the light on. And he has brought us out of that. So we need to watch that those weeds don't come back. We don't want to harden our hearts. We want to say, Lord, more like you. And I want to have fruit. I want to sow seeds with tears. Go forth weeping. How? By praying with tears. Being really sorry for my own sins and dishonoring ways saying Lord I don't want this I need revival I need more there's got to be a deeper work Lord I want that Lord I recognize even though you brought me so far and I'm so thankful still some things that are there that are just ugly even to me Lord how much more do you I really want those weeds out and we come to God not defeatedly or with a defeatist attitude we must cry but we know that our Father is so loving. The moment we cry sincerely, He's there to wipe the tears. Because once the work of confession is done thoroughly, He'll never wipe it prematurely. But He'll never let it prolong indefinitely. Once He knows we're really sorry, we really want to change, He'll not only wipe our tears away, He'll fill us with the joy of His truth that with His grace, more changes are coming. Hallelujah. In this first week of fasting prayer, we have the opportunity to say, Lord, I bring my complaints to You. 
I don't want to murmur. I want to be a person that really knows how to live a contented life. I want to be able to say thank you, Lord, for my fingers. My eyes are working. Thank you, Jesus. I may have pain sometimes, but they're working. Lord, I don't have to scrounge around for pennies to see if I can get a 99 cents hamburger to survive for the day or a handout. Oh my God. What makes me different, Lord? Why was I born in this family? Why do I have these limbs in education? Why do I have, Lord, the opportunity to get a job and hold it? Oh God, why am I different than my brothers and sisters in humanity, whether they're Christians or not, most of the world in dire straits, so much poverty and disease. I see pictures that we get from the missionary organizations, beautiful children in uh, Europe who don't have access to, for the past three or five years, they've been drinking dirty water, surviving, some of them. Beautiful, innocent ones. And they're looking to see if they can get clean water finally. Many of them getting sick. Why should our children have good water? Why should I be privileged? Have you ever thought about that? I'm sure you have sometime. But it haunts me time to time in a good way. Makes me really be thankful to my father. Oh, I don't deserve it, Lord. I can go to the tap and get water. I can filter it or I can buy water. I can open the fridge and find food. I can afford a mask. Have you thought about that? As I work in the MTA, I see homeless people going without a mask. What protection do they have? And whose son was that? Whose baby was that? they ever think my baby's going to grow up to be 40, 50, year old, 50 years old? Being in jeopardy of death and disease every day? Lost their mind perhaps? God sees how much he's given us and he wants to see whether we're going to complain still, murmur. Always looking for the next thing and not be thankful for what we have. And saying, Lord, how can I use what I have? God's spoken to me about this, and I've shared this a couple of times in the past. There was a time in my life growing up, it was always ambition to do the next thing. It's good to have the drive and to accomplish things, and to be a goal setter, and work toward it. But in the process, I could never really enjoy what I had to the extent that God wanted me to. It wasn't I was, I was ungrateful all the time, but now we've Come with another understanding. I'm so thankful, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I have so much, so much. I'm so rich. I've often said to the Lord, often, in secret prayer, made it public sometimes to the family. Now to you. I'm the richest person in the whole world. Not by way of money. That's not true riches. Because the Lord has saved me from destruction 
given me so much spiritual family here in all of the world. I'm part of a spiritual family that has the love of God and the Holy Spirit working, preparing to meet our bridegroom. And in the interim, gear every energy, everything we have to say, my God, I must do your will because I want to, I love you. God is so good, hallelujah. Yes, through the pain, through all the setbacks, can we compare what we're going through in a war-torn country right now where they have disease with no one to treat them? Not even a companion. They're by themselves running for their lives. How many stories, perhaps you've heard and I hear, on a weekly basis, even the other day, thousands upon thousands trying to get into Tanzania from a neighboring country. Because all of a sudden these anti-Christian guerrillas just came threatening their lives. They left everything. It's not an isolated incident somewhere. And usually it's against Christians. We've seen that, whether it's the Middle East or Africa or India. Or European countries. And we say, Lord, thank you. I want to have a heart of praise, Lord, and thanksgiving to you, Lord. So if I don't eat a meal, I don't get to eat for a day, for whatever reason, oh, Lord, help me to be thankful to you. As long as I'm walking with God, something good will come out of that. Maybe my system will get more detoxified. There's always a blessing. When we're walking with God and circumstances change, oh, God is in control. He is the master of the ship. He's the captain. He'll make sure that we are safe and that we're on the right course. That's all that matters. To follow the Lord. To be humble. Don't cover the sin. Confess it freely to God and forsake it. Find mercy. And live to please God and other people. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Shall we pray? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for showing us, Lord, that to love people is to help them, to get closer to you. What a thrill to be considered worthy and trusted, trustworthy, to take the gospel to someone. Lord, you trust us as messengers, Lord. We are carrying the messenger bag. Lord, we've come to your presence and you said, here's the bag. It's my bag from heaven. I trust you. Take the bag and the message inside to so-and-so. We have been given the assignment. Lord, you always give us the provision. You say, don't worry about the journey. I'll provide for you. We just go rejoicing. Oh, help us to be carefree children of God. Not careless, but carefree. Rejoicing today, my God. Thank you, Lord, for every good thing you've done and given us. Bless our brothers and sisters, Lord, who are feeling down <coughs> spiritually, under attack, emotionally, relationally. Lord, perhaps feeling inadequate, the devil bringing lies to their minds. Lift their spirits up, Father to know how much they're worth to you. Hallelujah. 
that you'll never leave them nor forsake them. Hallelujah. Those, Father, who are under bodily affliction, tremendous affliction, you lift their spirits, Lord, that health can come from your throne into their bodies also. Charge their faith that, Lord, you will help each of us to complete the mission you've called us to. That no one can stop us, Lord, because no one can stop you. To you be all the glory and praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Heal us, the Lord, I pray now. Lord, as she's been going through another attack, the enemy coming against the child, Lord, just when she's tired and wanting the rest, oh Lord, one thing or another, Lord, I thank you for giving her endurance, my Jesus, oh Lord, even as I saw her last night, Lord, smiling. And thank you, Lord, you are working still. Lord, we're not defeated. There is a forward momentum for sure, hallelujah. I thank you, Lord, that we're making progress. The enemy father is attacking still, and he will stop because you will put a full stop to his activities very soon. Hallelujah. And thank you for doing that, Father, my God. Oh, Jesus, give a relief. We know you'll do it, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Total relief. Thank you for being with Jeff, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for helping to pray this morning, Lord, here. Thank you for helping to pray always. Lord, thank you for healing him, Lord. Make the healing complete. Continue to give a total measure of healing, my God. Bless and prosper him, Father, in his pursuit of becoming just like his Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Fill him with your power and your love by your Holy Spirit. Bless Jenny also, Lord, the same way. And thank you, Lord, for being with Mike and Heidi, Lord. Bless them and strengthen them, Father. Lord, as they're doing your will, doing your work, Make them all the more stronger, O oh God. Healthier, Father, by your grace against every attack of Satan to try to rob their God-given health. Thank you, Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you for being with Lord Stanley and Jinsey, Lord. Giving them grace, healing Stanley, mightily, Father, and from many things. Thank you, Jesus. You are God and there is none other. Thank you for being with them, Lord, fortifying them, encouraging them, giving them hope in the future, rejoicing in you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being with Phil and Suzanne, Lord, giving them great hope in the Lord Jesus, great revival. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And thank you, Lord. There's great hope for Jesse, regardless of what man says. Just like with Samuel, our son, Lord. Oh, they will praise the name of the living God. Hallelujah. Pray for Amanda, Lord. And you help the child to know of your love and to have the fear of the Lord. Transform her to make a soul winner out of her, Lord. Hallelujah. You are God. There's none other. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being with Carlene, Yvonne, Lord. Helping them, Lord, to push through, press in. Not give up. Hallelujah. Giving them a gladness, Lord, in the midst of their pain and trial. Release them from it, my God, that they may serve you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm praying for those who have pain, Lord, especially this morning, in one form or another, that I've come to know about. Lord, have mercy upon anyone, Father, who's suffering pain and trouble this morning, that you would Give them, Lord, assurance that you would solve 
the troubles. Thank you, Lord, for giving us faith in your promises. All your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Give strength to all those who are going to work to have a good and godly day, Lord. We know that your blessings will follow them. Bless them, Father. Knock down any opposition they may encounter. Any plan of the enemy, Lord, destroy it, Father. In Jesus' name, help them to stay close to you today on the job. Going and coming. Protect them, my God. Protect them. I pray for safety, my God. For everyone, Jesus, we can't take anything for granted, my God. It's your mercy that keeps us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Cover with the precious blood. Every vehicle, every body. Those, Father, who are home doing other things. Oh, Lord, may they be aware of your presence. Help them, Lord, to look to you for everything they need to do for good success. Bless them, bless them, bless them. In Jesus' precious name, we thank you, Father in heaven. Amen.